Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. We're going to be looking today at Hosea chapter 2, and this is the longest chapter in, in this particular book. So we ended up last week with chapter 2, verse 1, because it was part of the thought. So we're going to continue a new thought, Israel's unfaithfulness punished. Israel's unfaithfulness punished. And this goes along the same lines, the same theme that, you know, sinfulness is punishable by God. It is, there's judgment that you ensue when you uh, don't obey God. And so this is something that uh, the writer of Hosea, Hosea himself, uh, deals with. So we're starting off with verse 2 into verse 3. It says, plead with your mothers, plead for she is not my wife. And I, and am I not her husband, that she put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and leave her as in the day that she was born and turn her into a wilderness and turn her into a dry place and kill her with thirst. Now, talking about the gravity of the judgment. Like we said last week that when Hosea, God instructed Hosea to marry the harlot as a, as a understanding of what the children of Israel had done in their relationship with God and how that God was going to use that union to show his judgment upon them as a people. So this is a, this is a allegorical or a metaphor for what they're going to be doing, what God's going to bring judgment on them. He says, um, plead with your mother, plead with your, plead for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. So, uh, Hosea's wife was a picture of this and so therefore it was a picture of the um, the, the mentality of the children of Israel. They were committing spiritual adultery against God and they were, they were being harlots, spiritual harlots with God as well. And so he says in verse 3, I, unless I strip her naked and leave her as the day that she was born and turn her into a wilderness and turn her into a dry land and kill her with thirst... So he's saying what he's going to do to the nation of Israel here is he is going to bring them down, bring them as though they were never a part of his people. He was, all, these, all the successes, all the progress they've made as a people, he was going to destroy that down, strip her naked, take it all away, like he did with Job. Job was, in a sense, a strip naked. He had no family, no place to live, no nobody. 
and he was in sackcloth and ashes in repentance, and he did not sin against God, and God restored him. So he's, this is something that God is saying. This is an allegory for the children of Israel. He's going to bring them down to nothing. He's going to bring them down to nothing. And this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we serve. So we can say that God, if he so chose, he could do the same to us. If he so chose to do that. With our lives and our, and our ways of living, God could do that with us. He could put us to a place of utter ruin. That's basically what he's saying here in that verse. Utter ruin against Israel. Now, verses 4 and 5. I will not have mercy upon her children, for they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the whore. She that conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will pursue my lovers who provide my bread and my water my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So again, another analogy of the mentality of the children of Israel. They were looking to other things for their provision. Their sinful way was looking for things for provision. They were looking for their ways of living to provide what God had already promised he was going to provide for them. Jesus said it in the New Testament that aren't the flowers of the field, aren't they clothed better than Solomon in all of his glory? Provision. And yet they were looking for something outside of God to provide for them their need, their clothes, their food. And God was saying that was going to be another area he was going to judge them in. He will not have mercy on them. If they do not repent, if they did not repent, he wasn't going to stop with those that he's dealing with, but not only them, but their children. I will not have mercy on their children, on her children, for they are children of harlotry. So the next generations of Israelites, if they do not repent, if they do not turn back to God the next generation, God was not going to have mercy on them either. God was going to curse and be, be, call them cursed as well and have no mercy upon them. Because they, in their sinful lives, look for other things to provide for them. I will pursue my lovers who provide my bread and my water. God said he will provide our food, right? Give us this day our daily bread, Jesus said to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. He is our provider of our daily food. My wool and my flax, my oil and my drink, so they were looking to others for their provision of even clothing. Didn't Jesus say, worry about what you're not going to wear? And that also, in that other, in that thing with uh, God's provision, worry not what you're going to wear. 
And yet, the children of Israel in Hosea's day were going to other things, looking to other things to cause them to turn away from God. That's ultimately what happens. We turn away from God because we can have instant gratification. We want something right now. That's the mentality of today's society. It's a human trait. We want something right now. Right now. You think instant coffee, the, you put it in the, put it, you take the spoon out of the thing, put it in the water and you stir it up, you think that was because somebody thought it was a great idea? It was because they were, they were, they were making, they were providing a service to and, and providing a need. People didn't want to wait for the percolators anymore. People didn't want to wait for the coffee makers anymore. They wanted it right now. Hot water and a spoonful of coffee and you got coffee in a second. Let's not wait five minutes for the thing to perk. Let's not wait five minutes for it to, to go down through the maker. Let's just put it in the thing. Instant gratification. The society is full of instant gratification. In our, in our computer technology part of our lives, that's instant gratification. How many people remember when you were a kid, I remember, how many people had TV when you were a kid? I don't think you two did until you, you were adults. But Brenda and Wayne and you guys all had TV. Do you remember when you had three channels and you had to wait for your show to come on and you had, if you were in the bathroom and the commercial ended, you missed part of the show? And then you had to hope that in the summer they did a rerun? Right? That doesn't happen anymore. You can go on social media and you can find every show you want and you can watch it when you want, how you want. You can pause, you can reverse, you can, you can, yep, and yeah. It's not black and white anymore. It's all convenience. It's all about being instant gratified. So many things. Answering machines. Voicemails. Caller ID, all about instant gratification. How many times, I remember, and probably everybody in here remembers, one phone in the house and it was in the kitchen, and if it rang and you missed it, you don't know who called, you don't know what they wanted, and you hope they called back. Not anymore. You got caller ID, you got voicemail, you got, uh, I've got, um, my voicemails get, tr get transcribed into text, so, so many things, instant gratification. So this is what, what happened in Hosea's day happens still. It's just a different era, right? One thing that I can tell on myself about instant gratification, how many people here text? Do you like it or you hate it? I hate it. I hate it with a passion. You know why? Because I'd rather just talk to somebody. What are you doing tonight? Five minutes, bubble, 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 pause, bubble, 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 pause, nothing. How about go out for a drink? Bubble, 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 takes 10 minutes, no, or I'm busy. How about just go on the phone and say, hey, you want to go out for a drink later? Uh, no, I'm busy. Ten seconds. 
Not 12, 12 minutes, right? That's where I'm reversed that way. Technology can be an issue. It can cause more problems than it is any good, right? So understand that we are not, we have not evolved spiritually hardly at all from this day. We have not evolved beyond the idea of not finding, just waiting on God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. So if we, I ask myself this a lot, but we just need to ask ourselves this. So if we have an issue with texting and having to wait for the bubbles to come so we get an answer, how, how much are we, um, how, 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 how do we deal with waiting on God? God says, you say, God, I need this. I, I, I need to answer prayer to this, and God makes you wait. How are we in that? Do we wait on God, or do we start to do our own thing? We see that through an Old Testament pictures, right? We see that in the, ex, the book of Exodus with, with Aaron and the golden calf. God took too long with Moses up on the mountain. It took 40 days. That's too long. We got to do something about it. How are we today? Do we wait on God okay, or do we try to hurry God up? That's what was happening here. God wasn't doing what they wanted, so they turned their sinful behavior to meet their own need. Verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and make a wall so that she will not find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not reach them. For she will seek them, but will not find them. Now, what do we call that today? Roadblocks. God puts up roadblocks in our paths to stop us from going places that we shouldn't go. God was saying in their judgment, he was going to send them down a path of roadblocks, slow them down. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not reach them. She will not reach them. She'll pursue them. So, she, so they will actively, they will actively pursue a sinful lifestyle. They'll actively pursue a sinful lifestyle and God will prevent them from succeeding in judgment. So let's look at that for a moment. They are pursuing sinful behavior, actively pursuing it, not just seeking it, but going after it. And God says, I am going to not allow them to reach them. They're not going to be able to do anything about it. God's going to stop them. You might say, well, they, they might think in their own standard and, and us and ourselves might think, well, God's mean to me. God was mean to them. Why didn't you just let them? That was love. If they would have continued to pursue their sinful life, even though they were God's chosen people, just as he had done in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, just as he did and when he destroyed portions of the children of Israel, he would still do with this. And he chose to
to follow. He chose to judge them for, their, for the betterment of their life. Out of love. We've all have kids, and we've all had kids and have kids. And Do we discipline our kids? Yeah. And that looks differently for everybody, but we discipline them. Why? Because we don't like them? We discipline them because we want them to be productive citizens in society and we want them to follow God. We want them to know right from wrong. That's love. That's not a judgment that is a hurtful judgment. God's judgment here in Hosea was not a hurtful judgment. Although he said he would not have mercy on them, he was going to then give them the ability in that judgment to see the error of their ways and turn back to him. That's why he says in Romans that he, he, led, he left those people in Romans to their reprobate mind. He allowed them to continue in their sin, in the thinking and thought, thought and hopes that they would see the error of their ways and they would turn back to God. He was doing the same kind of, the same kind of love was portrayed in both sections of this scripture. Second part of verse seven. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it is better, it was better for me than, then, than now. But she did not know that it was I who provided her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and multiplied her silver and gold that they used for Baal. So you see what God is saying here? I will return to my first husband. Will return to God. In the judgment, he's hoping that they return to God. That they not, that they not continue to stray off the path, but return to God. Because right now, he says, right now they don't understand that I provided all those things they're using for evil. When we walk into a place we're not supposed to be in, God provided us that ability to walk there. If we, if we talk about things and, talk, and gossip and tailbear, God gives us the ability to use our tongues to talk. God gives us these things and we are to understand that he gives them to us and it's important what we use them for. If we're not using them in the proper way, we are on the way of going down a wrong path and God would say to us, you don't realize that I gave you everything that you're using to sin against me. Let's go back to technology. Do you think that a man, just a mere man, invented the internet? You think a mere man invented the social media apps we have now? No. God gave us those things. And what do we use them for? What do we use them for? Don't we realize God gave us the very things we're using to sin against him? That's what he's saying here. She did, she did not know that it was I who provided her the grain, the wine, the oil, and multiplied her silver and gold that they used for Baal. 
So the things that God has given us, what are we using them for? Are we using them to sin? Is our feet going into places they shouldn't? Is our hands touching things that they shouldn't? Is our mind preoccupied with things that shouldn't be? God gave us all of these things and we it's important for us to not use them for sinful behavior. But the greatest thing that we have is a relationship with Christ. And when we slip, we can go to him and ask for forgiveness. Verse 9. Verse 9. Nine through thirteen. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Therefore, I will uncover her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one will deliver her from my hand. I will also bring to an end all her joy, her annual feasts, and her, her, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn assemblies. I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field will eat them. Verse 13, <clears throat> I will punish her for the days of the Baals when she burned incense to them and adorned herself with her earrings and her jewelry. I pursued her lovers, but, for, I pursued her lovers, but forgot me, declares the Lord. And pursued her lovers and forgot me. So, let's look at this really quick. So, he's saying, she's forgotten what I've given her. So, I'm going to take it all back. I'm going to strip everything from her or from the nation. I'm going to strip away the blessings and abundance of the wine. I'm going to strip away the wool or the... Or the um, the business or the, 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 the businesses of selling items, selling goods, flax and flax. Therefore, I will uncover her shame. So those around would know that if something is happening, God is in judgment. So it's not going to be something that's a secret thing. God is going to judge them. Another nation's will realize God is judging Israel. He's going to expose her sin. He goes on and he says, Therefore I will uncover her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one will deliver her from my hand. So, this judgment cannot be stopped. This judgment cannot be stopped. 
the children of Israel are going to have to go through it for their sin. The only way that it's going to stop it is that they would repent and return to God. That's the only way. There's nothing that's going to stop it. Not their ingenuity, not their, not their fortitude, not anybody, other nation, anything like that, but turning back to God. And there's a lesson in there for us today. The things we do if we are sinful before God, the only thing that is going to change that is by turning to God in repentance. Nothing else. Not our fortitude. Not our ingenuity. Not our smarts. Not our wherewithal. To follow, to, to push through the judgment. No. It is a repentant heart that comes before God. And a repentant heart that God will restore. I will also bring an end to her joy and her annual feasts, her new moons and Sabbaths, and all her solemn assemblies. Joy will be gone. Sin, sin brings about the loss of joy. God will take that away. What restores joy? A repentant heart before God. I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. Again, she didn't recognize where those had come from as a nation. Everything we call good, James says, comes from above. So this, this children of Israel understood, should have understood that everything that they considered good came from God. They didn't understand that. They were saying all of their fortitude, all of their sinful behavior, all of that was what brought about all of this abundance in their lives. God had nothing to do with it. I call baloney. God has a lot to do with everything that is good in our lives. He has everything to do with it. I will make them a forest, and the beasts in the field will eat them. He's going to destroy everything. He's going to take it from a lush land that was providing something for them, and he was going to make that something unusable for them. 14 and 15. Now we're talking about God's mercy on the children of Israel, on Israel as a nation. Therefore, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. For there I will give her vineyards to her and the valley of and the valley of anchor as a door of hope. She will respond there as in the days of her youth and as in the days where she came up out of the land of Egypt. So, God is seeing into the future. This judgment is going to happen. He's going to take it all away. He's going to destroy everything that they have in the hopes that they would turn to him. And he's saying in the future that, yes, they will return to me. I will speak tenderly to them because they are going to repent. 
God does not speak tenderly to someone who is unrepentant. God will speak tenderly to them. I will allure her. He's going to pursue them and speak tenderly to them. In his pursuant behavior, they will turn back and he will speak tenderly to them. And he says, from there I will give her vineyards to her and her valley and the valley of anchor as a door of hope. She will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came out of the land of Egypt. So they're going to, so there's a, there's a ripping down, a tearing down to build back up again. Essentially is what's happening. God is ripping away all of this sinful behavior. He's ripping all of that away to build them back up into a pure state or a pure land again, just as when they came out of the land of Egypt. He's got to rip all of that away. All of it away in order to grow new. And he doesn't give up on them. He didn't say, you're done. I'm done with you. He didn't say that. He said that he, he will speak tenderly to them and they will respond in, as they did in their youth when they came out of the land of Egypt. So he sees in the future that they will respond. And when they respond, he will speak tenderly to them. God wants them to understand that he loves them. He's not out to harm them. He's out to make them a better nation, a better people, a people who follow God, not a people who are caught up in their own lusts and sin. Now, verse 16. On that day, declares the Lord, you will, be, you will call me my husband. And I will no longer, and you will no longer, and will no longer call me my Baal. I will remove the names of the Baals from your mouth, and they will no longer be remembered by their name. On that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the heaven, fowls of heaven, and with a creeping thing of the ground. I will break the bow and the sword and, and the battle from the earth and will make them to lie down safely. I will take out, take you from my, take you for my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice. In mercy and in compassion, I will take you for my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. That's beautiful. Their change, their restoration will be complete. Their change will be complete. They will no longer remember the sinful behavior. They will no longer turn back to the sinful behavior. And God will give them the ability to call them, call him their, his, their husband. 
He will be the head of their nation. He will be the head of their nation. He'll be the head of their lives. See, there's something we have to remember as individuals and as people. God will give us a nation. God will provide his abundance and righteousness for a nation, but it has to start with the individual in order for a nation to turn. God had to start with individuals in the nation of Israel in order for the nation to turn back to God. God took away all of these things and it affected the individual. God took away the vineyards and the, and the land and all of these things. I will punish her for the days of the Baals and she will, be, and she will burn incense and abandon herself with her ear and, 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 and adorn herself with earrings and her jewelry and pursue her lovers but forgot me, declares the Lord. That's where they were. And he said in all of that, he was going to take everything from them, the wine, the wool, the flax, and the joy, and the feasts, and all that comes with the joy. All that was going to be gone. That didn't affect just the nation. That affected an individual. The individual person. And that's where repentance has to start with the individual person in order for it to affect a nation. We see that in, in the book of, of um, Jonah. It started with individuals. The king saw what was going on and he called for that as well. So it impacted individuals. And it impacted the king. And the king called for everyone to be in sackcloth and ashes. And when that happened, God then relented his punishment and did not destroy them. Because it started with individuals and the individuals as a nation or as a city of Nineveh, the individuals became a collective force for repentance. And God changed his mind. Same thing with Israel here. And any nation that is sinful today in 2023 starts with individuals. And as the individuals begin to see that God is judging and they turn to God, then eventually the nation will turn to God and God will bless. It's very, very, under, very, very much an understanding here. Repentance causes God to change his mind. A heart turned toward God in repentance causes God to change his mind. On that day, verse 21 to the end of the chapter, on that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they will answer the earth. The earth will answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they will answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. I will have mercy upon Lo-Rahamah. And I will say to Lo-Ami, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So in that national repentance, 
there's a heart effect. We realize, we understand that God is God. That God is the one in control and we have to submit our own control to God. He is in charge. He gives us what we have and what we need. Sometimes he gives us what we want if it's in his will. But he's in charge, not us. And when we realize that, we are his people and he is our God. Isn't that wonderful? He is our, he is our God and we are his people. But we have to come to a place of understanding that he has to be the one in control. Not anything else. Not Facebook. Not YouTube. Not Instagram. Not TikTok. Not our televisions. Not our cell phones. God has to be in control. God has to be in control. Then we are truly his God. And he is truly, he is truly our God and we are truly his people. Amen. God is a good God. Amen. We understand, we should understand by now that the judgment of God is not to harm us. Just as though when we disciplined our children when they were younger, it was not to harm them, it was to help them. God passes judgment to help his people be better than they were before. Out of love for them. Not out of a, a spite for them, but out of love for them. Amen? God loves his people. God loves you. So as we close, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the things of your life. This is something that, that I practice on a regular basis. Not that I'm any better than anybody else, but I just, I, this is who I am. This is how I, my mind works. All right? Think about your life. Take stock of your life. And be honest, and be honest with yourself and honest with God. What do you do? Where do you give place to God in your life? Is he in the front? Is he in, is he in the driver's seat of this uh, life automobile? Or is he in the back seat? And I guarantee if he was in the back seat, he'd be a back seat driver. But is he in the back seat? Or is he in the front driver's seat? Take stock of our lives. From the pulpit to the pew to find out where God is in our lives. Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for all you've given to us and done for us by your spirit. Help us, Lord, to know your ways. And Lord, to understand your ways. Help us, Father, to turn to you where we need to turn to you. Help us, Father, to look to you for strength and, and comfort and peace and also guidance in our lives. 
Show us the things this week that we need to remove from our lives that we might be better for you. Minister to us today and work through us by your spirit. I'm gonna give you praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.